Welcome to the Ankylosing Spondylitis Podcast, hosted by me, Jason Saga. I'm a 35-year-plus spondy looking to bring the community closer. I'll be reaching out to organizations, doctors, nutritionists, and anyone that I think can help increase our spondy quality of life. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Ankylosing Spondylitis Podcast. I hope you all can bear with me a little bit as we record through this. I'm going to try to go ahead and do it in one smooth take, but as you would know, my hips bothering me from ankylosing spondylitis, so I have to keep trying to adjust myself in my chair to get comfortable. Again, I apologize about the delay in getting this episode out. As many, many of you know, and I thank you for the kind words, I lost my father last week. And so it's been a little bit of a challenge, kind of, oh, getting motivated and and getting back into the thought process of what I want to talk about and things I want to cover. As I was sitting in the hospital the other day, we were letting my dad sleep a little bit, came across an article, and it was kind of interesting. It, It was a little bit of an older article from 2017, so by no means ancient, but it talked about the progression of ankylosing spondylitis. And I'm going to, again, relate this as I have in many articles to myself, but I I found something in here that, again, has been spouted off by many as factual, but I I don't think it is, and I think this is going to change as we go forward. So anyway, in this particular article, and it's from Healthline.com, that the condition of axial spondyl arthritis may affect as many as 1% of Americans, or about 2.7 million people. That's a lot, much more than I think multiple sclerosis or some of these other other diseases. And it's not, as many of you know or have found out, it's not a disease you want to leave unchecked. Mine was diagnosed when I was 14, but I could remember symptoms going back to when I was, say, 11-ish or so, and it was always attributed to growing pains. Well, we know that's not what it was, and it's come back that at those times there really wasn't any treatment anyway, besides just some heavy-duty Tylenols and aspirins, was really about the only option I had. So that would have been in the early 80s. And anyway, we all know that angulosing spondylitis, or AS for short, is a disease that can cause swelling in the spine nearby joints, your hips primarily, which is where I got affected. Mine hit the hips really hard, and through much of my life as a young adult, from say 11, 12, up to... Even now, I had a heck of a time walking what we might term normal. I didn't have a regular gait. As I walked, I was always in pain. So that made my body shift and adjust to try and walk in ways that uh, weren't painful, obviously. The other thing that affected me is my lower spine, like many of you, has fused. So I look down at the ground in front of me now. My neck is fused as well. It's very hard. I don't walk and look up and look around. I'm always walking and and looking down. I can tell you exactly what's going on, you know, a foot in front of my feet, but I can't tell you generally what's going on around me. When we look at ankylosing spondylitis, one of the things that this article talks about, which really we're beginning to discover isn't the case, but was told to me when I was younger, was that men are more likely to develop this disease than women. Well, that's not really the case. What we're finding out, and there was another article done in 2018, and again, hit the show notes for both of these article links, and this was also from Healthline, but about a year later, they did this article called Ankylosing Spondylitis in Women versus Men. Primarily, it was thought of as a men's disease, so because of that, 
most of the research studying and, and everything in the past was directed towards men. If it was a disease that women didn't get, research dollars didn't go that way. Well, what they found is that there is some research that's come out that suggests differences in the women versus men. There is a difference in the, the severity that women get versus men, but so far that research has been very inconsistent, i.e. it's probably going to fall by the wayside and going to turn around to be that spondyloarthritis is spondyloarthritis and AS is AS and we all get it the same. But until they get more probably data points, more research done on women, those are just some of the things they're looking at. As we all know, there really isn't an exact cause of AS. Uh, some people will say it's a reaction in your gut. Others will say it's just poor genetics and you drew the genetic short straw. The others talk about family history. I myself am a second generation here in the United States. We don't know anybody back. And as far as we can tell from talking with family that's still back in Europe, nobody's got AS or nobody was ever diagnosed with it. So I happen to be the first one that it's shown itself in, you know, in my family. I don't know if that'll carry on to my kids. It's a possibility. Two daughters and a son. And I certainly hope that uh, none of them develop it. But again, it's certainly a possibility as we do know there's some genetics that can play a part in it. And when we look at the beginning stages, a lot of times people will talk about or complain about back pain stiffness and getting up in the morning, soreness if they sleep or are inactive for a long time on the couch. Those affected me, but the back pain was the least of my issues when I developed. Mine was really just focused on the hips. And because of that, I never slept real long. I was never a late sleeper. I didn't stay in bed all the time because it hurt. So I just got up. Now that I would love to have longer sleeping periods, it's just kind of been put into me that I don't have them and, and my body's so messed up from the AS that, you know, four hours, five hours tops is a lot for me. But you can have the your back, your spine, the joint between your spine and your pelvis, which we all, you know, is known as your sacroiliac joint. Mine, from my last x-ray done earlier this year, show that my SI joints are completely fused over. There is no longer a separating item that's visible in the x-ray. They're, they're completely fused. Again, the vertebrae in your lower back, your hip joints, that's where mine were affected. And I've since had, as I've told you many times, four hip replacements. Uh, so that's where I got just beat up bad. Shoulder joints, you know, I had some shoulder pain. But once I started this Cosentex that I'm on, that really went away. It was primarily my left shoulder and it would just really be dependent upon the weather. So I'd be curious to hear what others of you deal with in relation to that. Ribs, I do get some issues with taking deep breaths. So I, I know I have to practice that more and, and keep my ribs fluid and, and keep them ability to take the deep breaths and then the breastbone. So what does this mean? What do we do if we it's left untreated? Well, a little more difficult for me to say or address that because I've been having mine treated for so long. I'm 49 now, started treating when I was 14, so 35 years. I do see many of you on the forum, though, the different ankylosing spondylitis forums discuss how you might be in your mid-30s, late-30s, even 40s as you're starting to get treated for it. And I would be also, I'd be very curious to hear how that's affected you through your life. Have you always just thought you had a sore back? Have you always just thought maybe you had, like, bruised your hip bone or I, I don't know, something? What was your 
experience with getting developed later in life. And as you go untreated, you know, we can encounter things like the uvitis, the ability to, when your eyes get infected, man, that's something else. You have severe sensitivity to light, blurred vision. You want to go in if you're experiencing that or you think it's, even if you think, man, maybe I'm just getting pink eye, but you've never had uvitis before, get into an ophthalmologist. Don't just go to a regular practitioner. Your regular practitioner may not be familiar with what to look for in the uvitis, and it could really, really cause an extreme amount of difficulty in healing and extra pain that you don't need to go through. There can be the difficulty in breathing, as I talked about earlier. You know, if your ribs seize up uh, or your rib, the cartilage in your ribs tightens up, it can make all the breathing that much more difficult. So practice your deep breaths. You can do that while you're sitting and watching TV. Every commercial break, take a few deep breaths. Fractures, you know, you can fall, and that's what I did. That's what started my hip replacements. I slipped and fell on ice and broke my femur. So we are susceptible to that, especially if your cartilage is going and your bones are a little more brittle or a little more susceptible to damage, especially your spine if there's been any fusing. So make sure to be very careful if you're living in a cold climate where there's ice. You know, really double think whether you need to go outside if there's been an ice storm or anything like that. There's also some talk about heart damage that can happen if left untreated uh, because the inflammation can spread to your heart and inflame the aorta and then damaged aortic valve can impair your ability for the heart to actually pump correctly. Knock on wood, I haven't had that issue. But again, you know, if you've if you've been putting off treatment for it, get in and talk to the doctor. The other thing is sometimes ankylosing spondylitis works in tandem with, you know, different types of rheumatoid arthritis or anything that can cause, again, your bones to become very weak and fragile. So make sure that you're seeing a good doctor, a, a doctor that you like, get in there have them look at all the, the items, you know, whether you have the HLA, B27 marker, make sure that they are working with you on some type of even a basic exercise program. Doesn't mean you have to be prepping to go run a marathon. What it means is that you want to go and look at something like stretching, deep breathing, uh, squatting if you can do that. Just whatever your body allows you to do to just keep movement going. Do it as simple as as when you're watching television. When I'm watching TV and uh, commercials come on, I do push-ups. Might be 10, might be 20, might be 30 in that commercial break. I don't sit down to say, uh, generally I try to get 10, but I mean, if my pain is bad and I can only get two or three, then I do two or three. Make sure that you're working with your doctor to understand what your capabilities are. Make sure that you're pushing yourself to a certain degree and also, one of the things I, I see posted a lot is folks talking about, well, I'm not going to take this particular medication because I might get this side effect. Well, a lot of times they talk like they're going to get that side effect. You don't know if you're going to get a side effect until you've actually taken the medication. So if it's a biologic and it could possibly give you a better quality of life, I'd encourage you to at least try it. If you encounter any of the side effects, certainly to whatever degree or level you encounter them, then you go back to your doctor and talk to him or her about possible alternatives because there's Embril, there's Humira, there's Cosentix. There's all sorts of different options out there available for those of us with AS. And we want to really get in there and dig, find out what's going to give us the best quality of life. So until next time, I hope you guys are enjoying these shows. Head over to the ankylosingspondylitis.podbean.com website. If you need CBD oil or vitamins, there are very good options there that you can access. 
And if you have questions, man, I love getting emails from you. I've gotten just a number of them lately talking about how they enjoy the the folks that are enjoying the show. Some are newer to the diagnosis and, and scared or nervous. I just got one from a gentleman in Australia that was really concerned about some of the things he was facing. And it really comes back to have a good primary care physician, have a good rheumatologist, a good orthopedic surgeon if needed, and make sure they're all working together to take care of you. You're the driver in this. Make sure that they're listening to you. And if they're not listening and it's possible to get a new one, do that. Keep interviewing doctors until you find the doctor that listens to you and understands and does what you're asking because you're your best advocate. So again, thank you for listening. I hope you all have a great day and I look forward to talking to you in the future.